All right, so I think it's time for us to get started. Uh, there you go. All right, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Maria Lambrecht from Bain & Company, and uh, I'd like to welcome you to the 2017 Techstar session. We've got so four very exciting speakers lined up for you this afternoon who'll be sharing some of the latest innovations with us in the fintech space. Before we jump in, just have a quick handful of announcements that I'd like to make. First one is that we've got a white Mercedes-Benz registration number CZ21RPGP, which is parking the convention uh, center parking. You've left your car door open. Um, second one we've got uh, relates to the convention app. Um, so we'd like to ask that you please provide feedback on the speakers by completing the in-app um, poll for the session. And then the last point also relating to the convention app, um, there will be a prize for the winner on the app leaderboard. Um, so be, do be sure to vote for the speakers after each session that you attend. Points are allocated as follows. We've got speaker polls, that's eight points. A message or photo on the activity stream, that's going to earn you three points. A comment's going to earn you two points. And then a like's only going to get you one point. All right. So I'd like to then jump in. And before I do, I'd like to provide a little bit of background to the program itself. So today, we'll be hearing from the second class of the Barclays Africa Accelerator program, powered by Techstars in Cape Town. After the success of the first program, the applications were extended to more than 50 countries around the world and across a wide spectrum of innovative financial services companies. After a rigorous and competitive program, 10 of these companies were carefully selected. Each of these has an amazing funding team and a unique solution, and it's from these companies that we'll be hearing from today. In terms of session logistics, what we're going to do is we're going to ask each one of our four speakers to present on their companies. After each speaker, we'll then allow a bit of time for, for Q&A, so we'll be taking one or two questions from the audience. If we do then end up with additional time at the end of the session, I'll once again open up to the floor, and then we can take any final questions from there. Right, and then so without any further ado, I'd like to hand over to Emily Skinsat, the program manager for the Barclays Africa Accelerator, to give us a little bit more con context and then introduce our first speaker. Hi, guys. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm the program manager at the Barclays Accelerator in Cape Town with Techstars. Um, I just want to give you a little bit of background, a little, little bit of further background, just so you understand a little bit more about the program. Um, Techstars is a worldwide network that helps entrepreneurs succeed. Um, it was founded in 2006 in Boulder, Colorado by two um, prominent VCs and they realized that as well as investment in these, in, in these um, companies, they actually needed a lot more than that. They needed a lot of networking and access to mentors, etc. So we give um, companies that go through Techstars programs a lot of access to other entrepreneurs, mentors, alumni, corporate partners, etc. Um, and Techstars has four main divisions. The Techstars Startup Programs, which are all over the world. Uh, we have the Corporate innovation, innovation Programs. We have a VC Fund. And then we also have the Mentor Driven Accelerators, which we're going to talk about today. So down in Cape Town, we uh, have run two programs so far with Techstars and Barclays. And we really are just helping to invest in those companies and help them to do more faster. So we run a 13-week accelerator. Um, we bring in 10 companies each year. And just to give you an understanding of scale, um, so far throughout Techstars, we've brought in about 1,000 companies. 90% um, of those companies are still active or have been acquired. Um, 100 companies have exited successfully. And we've raised over $3, uh, $3 billion um, dollars worth of money. Um, we've got about 35 programs worldwide. So I'm really excited to introduce these four companies to you today, four out of the ten companies that um, we wanted to present. Um, they've got some really unique and interesting businesses, and I hope you enjoy them. Um, so that's really basically it. I don't want to take any more time. Um, I'm going to introduce each company as they come on. So the first company is the Sun Exchange. Um, Abe is currently touring the world, um, promoting his company. Uh, so we haven't really seen him in the last two and a half months, so I'm very privileged to actually have him in our country again. Um, this guy's got incredible energy um, and a really formidable team, so I'm really excited for you to hear from him now. Might get a bit of feedback. Should we just wait till... You want me to use this? Okay, fine. Okay. 
Hello everyone, I'm Abe Cambridge, founder and CEO of The Sun Exchange, where anyone can earn income from the sun. We're all in search for solid and reliable financial returns, and what could be a better source of financial income than our shared nuclear fusion reactor in the sky, the sun? Now, solar power, when you own the hardware, provides a predictable return of over 10% per year. Now, our civilization has just crossed a monumental technological tipping point. We can now produce electricity directly from the sun more efficiently than we can than through burning fossil fuels. We are becoming a silicon-based economy. Entire industries and nations are now switching to solar energy as their primary source of energy. But for many businesses and communities, particularly in the developing markets, they can't because they don't have the capital to go solar. So, the search for financial yield on one side and the need for solar energy on the other. The Sun Exchange is a marketplace where anyone can buy into commercial solar energy projects at the scale of a single solar cell at a time. And we started doing this in Africa, where there's a huge demand for energy and the best solar resource on the planet. In South Africa alone, the value of the sunlight when converted to electricity using solar panels and sold at ESCOM rates is worth $620 billion a year, and that's just South Africa. Do you see where we're going with this? We're making Africa planet Earth's solar power station. And the timing is perfect. The markets are in alignment. We have record low interest rates, which makes conventional savings products unattractive and speaking as a millennial, quite frankly, boring. The smart money is moving into renewable energy. And to date, globally, $3.4 trillion has been pledged to be moved from fossil fuels and put into clean energy investments. The time for this planet to become solar powered is now. And through the Sun Exchange, that switch happens with a few taps on a screen. Here is how to solar power your money. Visit thesunexchange.com, sign up, and we'll perform a quick identity check. Choose a solar project where you wish to have solar panels installed. Place an order, and we'll generate you an estimate of the lease rental income you will earn through the project's duration. Once all the solar cells have been purchased from individuals from throughout the world, the project goes ahead, it gets fully installed, we insure the plant, we maintain it, and we take care of all the long-term legal agreements. Once the solar project is in operation, you can even check your Sun Exchange dashboard, you can check your earnings, get live project data, and you can sit back and earn monetized African sunshine to wherever you are in the world. And before now, none of this would have been possible. We've made it possible due to two key innovations. Now, our first innovation is to fractionalize solar panel ownership. So you can now own a solar cell within a panel within a project of your choice. We have reduced the cost of going solar to retail customers by three orders of magnitude. Our second innovation is how we have utilized the payment rails of the Bitcoin blockchain and smart contracts of the Ethereum blockchain to enable universal asset leasing on a nano scale. With our technology, we can offer maximum returns to the solar cell owners and lowest possible energy cost to the energy consumers with ultimate security and a resolution on payments previously inconceivable. Now, speaking of our users, we now have over 30,000 solar cells in operation across four commercial solar power plants. We have members of the Sun Exchange now located in 70 countries around the world. That's 70 countries receiving monetized African sunshine. We've got over 100 megawatts of solar projects in the pipeline, and we've built a shit-hot team of people from the finance sector, the solar sector, and the software sectors. Even in May, we won the global blockchain challenge in Dubai. So, now you know about our incredible business. It's a mission-driven, world-changing organization. And whether it's about the breaking up of our ice shelves or drought, not just in South Africa, but throughout the world, we actually need marketplaces like this.
We need it not just to secure an energy future or a finance of the future, but to secure a future at all. So visit thesunexchange.com and start earning solar-powered money. Thank you. Are there any questions? Is there, are we going to moderate the yeah, question? Yeah, no, that's perfectly fine. Let's, uh, let's take the question there in the middle. We had a first hand up right over there. Hi. Hello. Um, a quick question. Uh, will you be allowed to invest, given that it's based on blockchain, uh, on, well, on, on Bitcoin, in uh, any solar installation around the world? And have you discussed that at all with the Reserve Bank? Sorry, are you allowed to invest because it's blockchain? Or, sorry, what was the... So I'm, so I'm interested in just understanding whether you can invest in any solar installation around the world and receive returns on that. Yeah, you, you, can buy, you can buy solar panels within a project anywhere on Earth. And we only use one currency for servicing the lease rental payments, and that is Bitcoin. Now, Bitcoin isn't even a currency. It's just very expensive, valuable data, uh, which is hence why it's not circum... It's no... You can send it out of countries. It's a cross-border transaction system, but without actually having to go through a cross-border transaction system because it's just one unit of data which the whole world has agreed to use. So, yes, you can load a solar panel on any, any project. And, and just the second part, sir, and do you get re rewarded or paid back in Bitcoin? Yeah, all our, all our customers receive Bitcoin. Um, in this country, we do offer people to receive RAND uh, rental payments or Bitcoin rental payments, even if they paid in RAND up front. And 75% of our customers want they choose Bitcoin over RAND. Believe it or not. Right, any other questions? Okay, there's got a question there. There's also a question there. With the we asked the, that gentleman right over there. So really like the idea, I mean, I guess our national provider of electricity is openly expressed they don't like solar and renewable. Hmm. Where do you see it happening around like trying to meet the evening peaks and that and technology to resolve the evening peaks given the sun shines not exactly at the ideal time for most of our use? Yeah, but that's, that's quite an easy one to, to resolve really. We size our systems to match base load generation, not peak demand. So we're not, we're not even going out the way to, to satisfy the peak, peak demand issue. Um, and as these systems can all be retrofitted with battery systems when, when batteries become economically viable, which they are on the verge of. Um, batteries are coming down at the same rate in cost than solar panels did 10 years ago. And solar panels now are a hundredth of the cost they were. So it's just a matter of time. And as far as, it's also a matter of time before ESCOM realized that actually they need to be embracing the advances in, in de decentralized distributed energy systems to support and maintain the grid. I mean, it's actually, it, it makes a more advanced grid. It, uh, it controls voltages better at the end of lines. It reduces um, operation and maintenance costs of the, of the grid. It is the future. And, and we can just think about actually, in the past 10 years, we've built as an industry 300 gigawatts of solar panels worldwide. That's 300 nuclear power stations worth of energy built in the same time Facebook has been around. And they're talking about building a nuclear power station. The whole country will be solar powered by the time a first nuclear power station gets switched on. <laughs> Guaranteed. Right. Uh, I think we've got uh, time for, for two more questions. This gentleman. Thank you for the presentation. Um, I'm just wondering what happens to the solar panel when it stops being functional? What is the process around that? Oh yeah, well the, the solar plants are insured for a start. Um, each solar module has a 25-year warranty, uh, factory, uh, factory warranty on the actual components and materials. And they are a commodity, so if a solar module does fail, it gets replaced. Oh, no, the, the, no, they don't get put in, in a dustbin. Actually, most of the time, solar panels can be restored, and there's a whole industry that is involved with taking either damaged or defective solar panels and distributing them into in developing markets, so giving them to remote villages, etc. So they can still be used. They're just, they may be damaged, they may have some fractured glass. They can still be used. Let's take the first question here. Right up front. This, this lady here has got her hand up quite a few. Okay. Um, do your users need to be co-located to where your solar farms are, or do you plug into a grid? Do you have a proprietary grid? Yeah. How do you we're, transmit the... We're not, we're not exporting into the grid. 
Um, we're on the cust behind the customer side of the meter, so this is actually a, an energy efficiency measure. This, is a, this reduces the amount of incoming electricity supply, and we have a reverse export limitation device in all our systems to make sure there's no backfeed. And the reason why we do that is because at the moment ESCOM won't permit us to export. Um, so in most countries you are allowed, in, in Cape Town even, you're allowed to have a net metering agreement with the Cape City of Cape Town, so you can actually export power and it gets ducted off the bill incoming. So it's just a matter of time before the regulations catch up, and but the, the fact is our model works as it is. Once there do become incentives and some policy to support solar, this stuff is just going to take off even faster than it already is. All right. Uh, thank you very much, Abe, no and a uh, round of applause for Sun Exchange. Uh, can then uh, ask Emily to introduce our second speaker. Cool. Thank you very much, Abe. Um, next up is Special Edge, all the way from Stellenbosch. Um, Frank and team are some of the smartest guys you'll meet and also some of the nicest. Um, these guys were really impressive on the program. They had a number of really demanding clients, but they were still able to be um, super engaged and take a lot from the program. So without further ado, here's Frank. Thanks, Emily. I don't know who you were talking about when you were introducing us, but thank you. It's very kind. Um, so, excuse the notes, um, our CEO had to pull out of this presentation, so I'm t uh, taking his place. So, um, I'm sure since I'm sitting or standing in a room full of actuaries, you guys have all heard of the Pareto Principle. Um, so, basically, it says that 80% of your, or 20% of your effort produces 80% of your results. Um, and for businesses, this means that only about 20% of your customers um, produce about 80% of your profits. Now, while insightful, this is... Um, this raises a number of questions. Um, first of all, do you know who your most profitable customers are? Do you know how many more of them are out there? And do you know how to effectively engage with them? So most companies simply don't have enough information about their customers, to um, a detailed enough view of their customers, to answer these questions. And um, this means that approximately 50% of all marketing spend goes to waste. So my name is Frank. I'm a co-founder of Spatial Edge. And at Spatial Edge, we help companies identify the most profitable customers, and then we help them find and engage with more, dramatically increasing their revenue. So our, so our secret source relies on three very important ingredients. Most importantly, our team. Then secondly, our data. And finally, our technology. So let me tell you a little bit about each of them. So as a lecturer at Stellenbosch University, Retief Gerber, our CEO, um, and main founder, trained over 5,000 engineers. And then two of us um, spent our time um, doing our masters and PhDs there as well. So we really have access to the very best technical talent. Our current team was assembled at the largest private aerospace company in Africa. So we actually are rocket scientists. Um, our proprietary database of 61 million consumers has been built over 15 years and is used to produce a very detailed customer view, and it's, we're able to um, extract incredible insights from this data. And then finally, a lot of people talk about big data. I'm only going to give you two metrics that gives you an idea of what we deal with, um, with, with our current clients. So 70 billion, that's the number of records one of our um, deployments ingests per day. Now, this is quite a large number, considering that WhatsApp handles about 55 billion records per day, so that's, or messages per day, so that we're doing more than that. Then, secondly, 400. That's the number of recommendations in real time that one of our um, other deployments does per day. Amazon estimates that 35%, almost $50 billion of their revenue is generated because of their recommendation system. So this is only possible if you have rock-solid technology that actually works. And we're doing this today for some, of our, from, for some of the biggest companies in South Africa. So I'm going to walk you through one of the, um, what we did for one of our clients, the Times Media Group. TMG was facing a challenge. How do they increase circulation numbers in an environment where circulated print media is experiencing a downward trend? We took a sample of their clients, and then we enriched their... Uh, using our proprietary proprietary technology and data, we enriched their customer information with up to 250 additional points per client. 
Then using our machine learning technology, we were able to provide them with a list of precision targeted prospects that better represent their total addressable market. Then for six weeks, each of these prospects were given a free Sunday Times newspaper delivered to their door. After this, they were called with a subscription offer, and we were able to achieve a conversion rate of almost 3% with a norm of 0.2%. That decreases the expected cost per acquisition from 4,500 rand down to about 300 rand. So that's about a 15-time reduction in cost. That is the power of spatial edge. So in just one year, we've worked with about 28 clients, we've closed almost 20 million rand in new contracts, and we have an expected monthly turnover of 1.5 million rand. And we've doubled our turnover twice during the Techstars program, which is only three months long. And best of all, we're profitable. <laughs> so we've done all of this with a small core team using a bootstrapping method and a, a software-as-a-service model. So what does the opportunity look like? In South Africa, the total marketing spend is 50 billion rand per year. And that's only a fraction of the trillion dollars spent worldwide in marketing every year. Now remember, half of that goes to waste. On top of this, $150 billion are spent on data analytics per year, and that's growing at 12% per annum. While these numbers are astronomical, our current growth plan focuses on the 300 largest listed entities in South Africa, where we estimate that we can save each of them tens of millions of rands per year, and nine of them are already our clients. So if you want to know who your 20% most cust profitable customers are, and you're looking to find more, come and talk to us. We'd like to help. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, if we have any questions uh, for, for Spatial Edge. Hi. Uh, just a, a question around... Uh, the risk of regulation and the number of data points you can hold of, a, of an individual, and, and mm -hmm. particularly around what the U.S. elections has shown um, with, uh, with the, the Facebook hacks and the targeting of, of fake news, that Cambridge and, 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 and it's real in terms of what Google holds on individuals mm -hmm. uh, and Facebook and the ethical considerations, not just from that perspective, but around... Uh, around pushing product uh, almost subconsciously to customers where you know more about them than they, they actually know about themselves. So maybe if you could just comment on, on the regulatory piece and then the ethical considerations piece. Cool. Well, that's not really my expertise, so I'll, I'll do my best. So um, it is a, it's a, obviously a very tricky, it's a tricky thing. The, the amount of data that we have is nowhere near what a credit bureau has, for example, or a, um, like a bank. Um, we try and do the most of what we can um, with the data we have. So, for, for example, a lot, of, a lot of the work, one of our main income streams is around the retail space. So instead of looking specifically at customers, we'll look at a, a generic um, customer per area. So we break things down into, we geocode all the customers to where they live, and then we can find out, so in Santon, that customer profile looks a certain way, and in you know, heart and it looks a bit different, and in Cape Town again different, and we use all of this data to give, um, give, for example, retail outlets a much better understanding of what the customers look like around where they live. Um, and then we can, we also often work with the customer data that, or the customers that the company already interacts with. Um, so it might be, for example, with Times Media, they had a whole bunch of information about their customers, telephone numbers, email, or address, but they didn't know how real it or how up-to-date it was. Because often, for example, the postman knows, oh, these people have moved to another place, he'll just deliver it there even though the address is wrong. Um, but that's an example that they gave us. So we were able to help them at least understand how outdated is their data. And, um, so, but, I mean, we, we, make, we take a lot of care to make sure we've got a couple of guys that are very paranoid about the data and make sure it's incredibly safe. And, um, and we just try and help out people where we can. Right, uh, any additional questions for, for Frank Special Edge? All right, thank sure. you very much. Thank you.
Okay, next up is Bite Money. Uh, Bite Money is, um, is a fantastic company that came through. They're Cape Town based as well. We've known them for a while. Um, Marlon is an incredibly passionate um, uh, guy and he knows the industry really, really well. Um, and, and he knows the African market incredibly well as well. So well, when he came onto the program, working with Barclays Africa and getting into the nitty gritty of all the different countries was, was pretty exciting for him. Um, he's solving a huge problem. I'm going to call up Marlon to tell you more about what they do. Hi everyone, can you hear me? Yeah, there we go. Hi everyone, yeah, I had a cataclysmic uh, hardware failure last night, so I'm feeling a bit nervous. This, I've put this together this morning. Um, I'm from Bite Money. Well, basically, if I run out of the room crying halfway through, you know why. Um, I'm Marlon, I'm from Bite Money. We specialize and focus on the receipting, reconciliation, and administration of microfinance products, specifically in the South African funeral insurance, insurance market. Um, the company itself, we're a Techstars alumni. We participated in the Barclays Accelerator program this year, and in 2015, we were voted in the top 10 fintech companies um, in Africa. So I'm not going to go too much into the insurance market. I'd assume that a number of you would know a little bit about that. Um, but we've got the second highest rates of insurance penetration in the world. About 14% of our GDP is spent on insurance every year. And uh, more importantly for what I'm going to talk about and what we do is about 10 million South Africans are insured under what they call sort of group schemes or group benefits uh, or burial societies. And that's for funeral policies. So with 80% of all South Africans uh, having funeral cover, 10 million people have uh, informal or semi-formal uh, funeral cover. Um, the distribution and systems, uh, some of you may know, but it can be quite alarming. Uh, typically, these insurance policies are sold through um, funeral parlors and group scheme administrators, uh, and these guys have deep penetration into the rural markets. Some of the behavior around this, they have agents which are either semi-formal or formally employed, sometimes free agents, scary enough, that go out into the field, sell policies, but they also collect payment for those policies every month. Sometimes it's as a payout points, for example, or go to church groups, etc., and collect premiums monthly. Scary enough is that a lot of these payments are being paid for in cash to these agents um, <clears throat> who issue a handwritten receipt in exchange for as proof of purchase. So I, I don't need to go into too much detail why that's an absolute crisis, but uh, it's ubiquitous, um, surprisingly so. So the system would be, you come to me, I go, oh, hi, hi so-and-so, here's a handwritten receipt, thank you for your 100 rand. Then I go back a week later to the funeral parlor and dump a whole lot of receipts on the desk and some cash minus my commission. That information then needs to get, needs to get captured, collated, and then reported upwards to the insurer. Um, and obviously, there's huge issues around the data quality, turnaround times and reporting, etc. So the system looks a little bit uh, something like this. There you can see the uh, member, principal member, paying the agent, packs the paper, dirty data goes to the insurer. The problems in this uh, create huge risk factors for the insurers. Um, in fact, it's known that in South Africa, or well, this particular market se uh, sector, are paying up to 100 times more for their life products than any of us are. And there's associated administration costs, high cost of acquisition, massive amounts of NTUs, up to 30, 40% NTUs, um, and high lapse rates. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so what do we do about this? Firstly, uh, we, we address the receipt book issue. I want to talk a little bit more about financial inclusion and the, uh, the opportunity to leverage this existing and very robust and mature uh, distribution network. But we start with the agent and the receipt book. We replace it with a handheld POS device, the agent will now go to his SASA payout point, collect payments uh, from the individual, uh, enter their ID into the system. It queries our database, returns a result. And why is this important? Well, because a lot of people are paying for lapsed policies or are behind on payments that aren't getting detected. They continue paying for however long it might be. And when it comes to claims, well, in 2016 March, you didn't pay your policy and it causes lots of problems. In addition to that, we're now equipping agents with our mobile platform, whereby they can now sign up new business, not, so we're removing the paper from the new business sign up process. 
um, as well as uh, sign them up not just for funeral policies but for other financial services as well. Now, the real magic from our side is that we're transforming a really unreliable reporting uh, cycles and uh, unreliable in terms of data quality as well, and we're transforming that into a live stream of verified data. So now what we have, instead of this uh, piles of paper being put in Excel spreadsheets and getting sent upwards, loads of duplicates, etc., we have a live stream of data that connects the entire vertical from the man um, on the street, under the, under the tree at the SASA payout point, to you guys in your boardroom looking at your business intelligence. So now we've got that clean data, we can also push it through machine learning modules, whereby we can look at really deep insights into customer segmentation. We can use guys like Frank to give us deep insights around spatial data, um, and as well as uh, calculate things like lapse propensities, etc. So now what we do, this is our current uh, footprint in terms of agents using, or businesses using, whose agents are using our platform, we look at ways to leverage this, net, this, this agent network. And again, you're looking at someone paying a 100 rand policy for their 10,000 rand cover or whatever it may be, that's a very expensive client to service. So how do we leverage this network? Firstly, it has lots of failings. However, it's been very successful in penetrating a, a deep and rural market. And in fact, you'll see the system working even in Mitchell's Plain. Um, I wanted to touch on just briefly, um, just around, um, also around the financial inclusion side, talking about uh, things like fixed savings, for example. So bank savings, we're looking at about 45% um, of households, and this is 14,000 Rand to 20,000 Rand households, so not, not your poorest of, uh, of, uh, of households. About 45% actually have banked savings, um, whereas about 81% of them actually have informal savings channels. So it seems kind of illogical, but the fact remains this is a behavior in South Africa and actually in the SADAC regions. Mm. There we go. Sorry. Um, so now um, looking at things like insurance cover, we're also looking at uh, the total penetration of uh, short-term products into this market. is only 36% in that particular LSM group, which is extremely low. And some of these reasons is a lot of this uh, information is uh, not being recorded. We don't know about these customers. People paying in cash for their policies. We don't have payment records for them, and they're very expensive to insure. So now by using these types of systems with machine learning, we can look at a more uh, customer-centric uh, customer design and uh, customer experience. Customer centricity has become uh, the, the way forward for not just media, um, but um, all kinds of industries. Um, across the world. And how to do that in the financial industry is very difficult. You've got very big, slow-moving, cautious, and very structured uh, businesses, so operating in silos. Where oftentimes you'll find that the banking side, or physical channels versus insurance, are actually trying to service the same customer. But how do you do that with all the different regulations and licenses required? So we look at the agents, we give them the right tools, um, and they can actually become part of offering more localized um, and specialized product design uh, for, these, for these customers. So I think in terms of actuarial science and, and actuaries in, um, as, as, a, as, a, as an industry, you're under massive threat from machine learning. And so what do you do? You've got to look at tools like this and think, well, how can we innovate using the tools and not be replaced by them? And this is one of the ways that I see, um, see that possible. Just a little uh, quick overview about the African market. Uh, insurance is actually one of the uh, most underserviced products in, on the continent. I'm not going to read through every single stat, but uh, there you, you, you can see it there. And so I envisage an agent network, building up the agent network, playing off the strengths of what is a very mature and robust South African insurance industry and uh, replicating that in uh, markets that have similar market drivers on the continent. Just one of my favorite examples is Ghana. Um, about only 1.5% of their GDP is spent on insurance every year, which is incredibly low. They have a massive funeral insurance or funeral uh, industry, and uh, typically people are taking out incredibly, incredibly uh, huge loans at, on terrible terms to pay for these funerals, which are elaborate. Um, these are some of my favorite uh, Ghanaian coffins, so you can see why they're borrowing so much money. Um, my favorite's the Walkman. I'd like to get buried in one. 
But this is a market that's ripe for this type of innovation. What we can do is we deploy an agent network with our technology, apply machine learning, test new products, um, and design new products based on customer feedback and behavior. This drastically reduces the cost of um, entering into new markets or testing new markets from a product perspective. So by utilizing our types of services, we not only make you more efficient, uh, your processes and service providers more transparent, but we um, enable you to make better data decisions. Thank you. I will answer questions. All right, sir. Thank you very much, Marlon. Uh, do we have questions for Byte Money? Of course, just take a question there at the back. Hi. Um, just wondering it, uh, how this is being received in the funeral parlor world. Um, who, who's saying, yippee, solving our problems, and who's saying, stuff off, you don't really get what we're doing? Well, uh, no, for sure. Look, I mean, the, it's actually easy to explain to the funeral parlor world. It's hard to explain to investors and people who are more familiar with sort of first world, well, I'll say first world, Western practices in terms of financial services. But how we actually started doing this is we were installing many years ago a network at a very large funeral parlor just uh, outside Carltonville. And the owner came and told us, hey, listen, I have this problem collecting cash. It's a nightmare for reconciliation, and I'm getting pretty sure I'm getting robbed by some of my agents. And so we hacked together this device, the POS device, which is where was the genesis, um, and that's where we were born from. So all of our products have actually been built on the ground with the funeral parlors. We're members of things like the NFDA. So we're very much involved in the funeral business itself, um, and now we're starting to service uh, corporates um, as well, who are obviously the underwriting of these services. So yes, in general, very good. Um, there are obviously unscrupulous uh, bad actors in the industry that don't want uh, auditability, and so well, they're not the kind of customers we want. But generally, we've had a great reception. And uh, yeah, as far as I said, it's the way forward, specifically with the sign-ups as well. And offering card payments is another thing we do. SASA card payments. Right, so any further questions for Byte Money? Um, can you maybe just spend a minute on your revenue model, your charging structure? How does that work? Okay, from a revenue model perspective, we work off an annuity basis for the uh, POS devices. Um, we always get asked why not transactions, but uh, we, we, our entire life, our business, our staff, we were all focused around insurance, and it's not attractive to the parlors specifically. People like predictability, and we're an efficiency player as well, so giving you a different invoice every month is just doesn't make any sense. So that's on the, um, on the POS device side. On the tablets or for the signing up of new business, we work on a standard commission basis, which we'll split with the agent, um, which normally falls in line with the company's processes or um, existing commission structures. Um, and then from a data and BI side, it's really on a quotation basis. Um, our, our software administration is a software as a service model, uh, which we're soon going to open source, which I think is going to be incredibly powerful. So we'll offer a base service um, administration platform, a policy admin, uh, administration platform for free. Um, and then we've built modules like SMS modules, etc., debit order processing or allocations uh, that will work off a transactional type of basis. But we're building things that are in line or going to be driven by compliance. Like the SMSing, for example, as unremarkable as it sounds, it definitely falls in line with the TCF requirements, which is the treating customers fairly. Um, so we will have those SMSs stored against the policy information on, the, on, our, on our servers. Right, and then we had a last question here at the front. Sorry, can we just activate this mic here? Hello? Um, yes, so um, at the moment, how is, is it a service that both the insurance companies and parlors as well as the agents use? Or is it at the moment more agents and the parlors themselves? And then another question is, um, you're currently just in South Africa. Um, your POS devices, are you adjusting that for other markets in Africa? Because the penetration, card penetration, is not there. Um, no, for sure. Yeah, look, uh, do you mean card uh, penetration in South Africa or? Well, in Africa, other in countries. In Africa in general. Yeah, well, look, I think it, just to answer that one first, it comes hand in hand. You know, we, by signing up new business 
to customers in their, where they stand through these agent relationships, we're able to increase um, financial or, uh, banking penetration. You know, and in South Africa, people brag about 80% um, uh, banking penetration in, uh, on the in the country. But if you remove the SASA grants uh, from that, the SASA accounts from that, there's only about 52%. Um, so yeah, we are geared up. We partnered with Liquid Telecoms. So they're their biggest uh, teleco company um, on the continent. So they provide all of our switching services, etc. We have integrated with other payment platforms. We make Yamus into Mozambique via Barclays uh, early next year as well. So we do have plans to expand uh, slowly. Um, in terms of um, acceptance into the industry, look, it's been hard roads. And I think the, the key thing with us is that we've really started at the bottom and we've worked with the funeral parlors. So a lot of co-creation on all of our products. And um, the value to the insurer is, uh, is huge. And they're starting to recognize that. In fact, we're rolling out with one of the biggest insurers in the country um, this week, we've just completed a pilot, so we're going full production with them. So they'll be giving their service providers these products. Some of the value for them is clean data and live data, reliable reporting, and auditability. And um, I think what's really going to drive uh, insure tech in general, particularly in the mass market or microinsurance space in South Africa, is because of our high rates of penetration, the costs are extremely high but hugely competitive. And ultimately, really, the only real way to win the market over is fast claims processing, and price. And so if you can increase your efficiency, you're going to be able to uh, get the edge up on your competitors' price-wise. Price, price All right. Thank you very much, cool. Marlon. Bye, Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. Nice to Right. Um, last but certainly not least is Avenues GT, our first company from Israel. Um, Shalom has traveled all the way from Israel to be here today, so we're very excited to have him back. Um, these guys are incredibly hardworking. They're a team of four. Um, one of our earlier stage companies that were to join us this year. Um, they've made incredible traction over the three months um, and continue to do so. Um, every day they were the first company in the office and the last company to leave, and they even came in every Sunday. So these guys mean business. So over to Shalom. Thank you very much, Emily. Great to come back here to South Africa. It's always a pleasure. And we'd like to start our presentation with a question. What is the meaning of agriculture? It's the world's largest employer. 37% of the earth is used for it. And it's the source for almost every meal that we eat. Agriculture means everything. My name is Shalom, and I would like you to meet my cousin and co-founder, Shai. Not so long ago, both of us were farmers. Actually, we come from four generations of farmers. And throughout those generations, what shocked our fathers and their fathers was the dramatic inefficiency that exists in the agriculture trade industry. The way we trade our origins from Israel to France is the same way that South African farmers trade their apples with the UK. And it's the same way that agriculture trade is being done over the last hundreds of years. Agriculture trade is an industry, it's $1.5 trillion industry. It's based on paper records, handshakes, and verbal promises. The problems that arise from that form of non-digital transaction are fraud, non-transparency of pricing, and a massive reliance on intermediaries, also known as brokers. Those problems still exist today, and they're estimating about $500 billion annually. So, we created Avenues GT an agricultural trade ecosystem that empowers farmers to participate in the global market and deliver the unique and high-quality product to the world. And it's based on blockchain technology. Our ecosystem is built on four pillars. Number one, trust. Every trading member is, in, is ensured to secure a secure environment. Number two, transparency. No more verbal promises. No more handshakes. No more paper records. Everything is on a blockchain. Number three, efficiency. Farmers and industrial buyers transact directly with each other. 
Number four, financial security. We guarantee payments for the farmers and we guarantee performance for the buyers. Let me show you how it works. An industrial buyer sitting in his warehouse, sending a digital quote request. An algorithm matches with the relevant farmer. The farmer replies with a digital quotation, and the boss are given the terms of the transaction with an immutable handshake. As for logistics, we provide support all the way from the farmer fields to the buyer warehouse. And when the shipment leaves the port, the farmer gets paid immediately. And when the shipment arrives to the buyer warehouse, we get paid, and the transaction is completed. Every trading interaction registered on the blockchain, making it immutable and validated. And this is how we created a global trading ecosystem. We chose agriculture because Ishai and I, we speak the buyer language, and we know the farmer's pain. We team up with Ismail, our blockchain magician, and with Nimrod, our data rockstar. And together, we bring the magic of technology, data, and transparency into the agricultural trade industry. We came here to Africa five months ago. We, come, we came only with 15 farmers. We needed a strategy to reach a significant amount of farmers quickly and efficiently. Then we find out farmers intend to become a cooperative. And now, with that in mind, we have more than 1,000 African farmers selling their product through Avenues GT. With one of our cooperatives, we set a pilot of selling one coffee container. After completing the pilot, the coffee cooperative can supply five containers a month. Each container was 80,000 US dollars. So five containers worth 400,000 US dollars. We charge 8% transaction fee, half of what the brokers charge today. It's a 32,000 US dollars. And you know, there is more than 30,000 cooperatives here in Africa. To achieve our goals, we team up with Vekonexin, a trade finance company from the US that gives trade finance solution to each transaction. With TradeCloud, a South African company that expert in import-export management. And with Barclays Africa, we explore how we can bring financial instruments to invisible farmers, how we can bring more financial instruments to African buyers, industrial buyers. Africa is $100 billion industry. But for us, Africa is only the beginning because our vision is a global trading ecosystem. We know how it's filled working in the field from dawn till dusk and not making enough profit to run a sustainable business. And we also know there is a better way. Join us as we lead as we lead agriculture trade industry into the 21st century. Thank you. Right, thank you very much, Alon. Uh, yeah. Any questions for, for Avenues GT? I've oh, got a question right in the middle. I just wanted to find out if your transactions are completed in a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin or whether it's hard currency. What, what we use blockchain is a, is a ledger, is a decentralized ledger that makes sure that what, whatever both sides agree on happens, and we, then we pay. So we don't pay in cryptocurrencies. We pay in dollars. All right, so can we take the question there at the back, please? Is your service attractive to very large... Um, farmers, kind of industrial size farmers, or just to smaller farmers? Yeah, so we, funny enough, we find out that very large farmers often put aside roughly 10 to 20% of the production. So they have, during the season, 10 to 20% of their product to play with. And they get approached by buyers that they don't know them. So they are willing to work with that kind of product, 
making sure that the buyer they approach to them are verified and can perform. Because farmers, in the end of the day, they want the confidence that they, when, they, when ship their product, they will get paid. So, yeah. Right, any additional questions? I think we've got time for about two more questions. Hi, Shalom. Thanks for the presentation. I just wanted to ask, how do you manage the quality of the goods that you sell? Um, yeah, so we have, we have basically we have three compliance checks. We do compliance check on the business before approving. After it, when a farmer builds a profile and he say, okay, I have, let's say, coffee, we ask him to upload certification that support his claim. Those certifications printed by said third parties and they are well, well known as a, as a, as a, I forget the word. So they are well known. And, and when we approve or disapprove a transaction, we do another compliance check. And when you want to export something, you, want, you need to go and print another third-party uh, certification that say, okay, in that container there is that amount of coffee bags with that quality, and this is how we make sure that the quality is there. All right, do we have a final question? Can we have a final question over there, please? Um, hi, sorry. Um, so a two-part question. So one is, do you do the insurance um, on the transaction, like the shipping part of it? And then as a company, are you just the technology component or do you own sort of the whole integration? So because the, then in theory, you, you're the logistics company as well as a technology company. So yes, we insure it. We insure it door-to-door insurance, every transaction. And we are not a logistic company because if we... To become a logistic company is very hard, and we don't want to become a logistic company. But we, are, we, are, we participate in the transaction. This is how we make sure that everything is insured, both the cargo itself and the payment. So we have a payment insurance and a cargo insurance. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. All right, and that's it for the 2017 yeah, textile session. Much. Thank you very much, Alon. I'd uh, just like to, to thank all of our participants and our audience for a, for a very interesting and informative session. Um, if, there are, if you do have any additional questions or would like to find a little bit more to the program, please do feel free to reach out to Emily. All right. Thank you very much, everyone.